0: You guys pray with me father thank you so much for today we just ask now that your word would just penetrate through our hearts god that um life transformation would happen right here in this place through the things that you would have us to to learn today and lord just help us to be open and to help us hear from your spirit we pray these things in your name amen amen you guys can be seated um last week we started this study in the book of galatians Uh, I hope you got something out of it but I wanted to recap a little bit because if you're coming in and you missed last week let me just paint a little bit of a picture to give you some background information on what exactly it is that we're talking about with the book of Galatians so Galatians is found in the New Testament it's written by a guy named Paul and Paul uh, is is accredited here with planting the churches in the area of Galatia now one of the things to understand is this letter is written it wasn't written to you and me it was written to the, the Gentiles that were living in the area of Galatia so it's not necessarily written to one church it's written to an assembly of churches and towns like Lystra and Derbe and Antioch and Tarsus which is where Paul is from so he's writing this letter back to them to give some information It's really Paul's penning this letter to these churches and he's starting to rebuke the churches just a little bit. Uh, some of the language that Paul uses in, in Galatians is very harsh because here's what had happened. with these false teachers who have come from Jerusalem, had made their way up into the area of Galatia. Now, Galatia is found in modern-day Turkey today. So these false teachers had moved their way up to these new, fresh churches that Paul had just planted, had just turned over to leadership, had just taught them about salvation and the grace of God and he had them where they were supposed to be Paul leaves to go plant some other things start some other churches and in the process when these false teachers moved in who had Jewish background they begin preaching to the Gentiles that hey if you want to have any kind of relationship with God you're gonna have to follow through with these practices there are certain works that you're gonna have to do in order to have this relationship if you don't do these works then you won't have that relationship with God So what they were basically putting was a weight of religion of saying that salvation comes only through works. You've got to work to have a relationship with God. Now, Paul was furious when he heard this because this is the exact opposite of what he taught. Because Paul comes in and says, no, 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 no. It is salvation by grace through faith. You don't do anything to earn salvation. And he begins telling them, that they have been deceived, they have been tricked. What is going on? Because this is not the way that I left you and you're buying in to this. In all these religious practices, the one that was really standing out, the one that is talked about more in Galatians than any of the other practices is the practice of circumcision. Paul tells us very bluntly in Galatians chapter two that the Gentiles bought into this false teaching so much that they had circumcision parties, not an invitation that you wanna receive in the mail. But they bought into the lie. They bought into, this is what's being told. We're we're listening to these guys. We're not really calling into question because they say they love God. And they're really connected to God. And they're in the temple. So we need to do what they're saying. And they just bought into it without understanding that they were walking away from the very things that Paul had taught that were true and free to stepping into a place that was weighted down with religion. So they were teaching the theology that faith plus works equals salvation and not what Paul had taught of, no, 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 grace, grace is how you get salvation. It is an act unmerited. God has already done this. It is a gift. So what we find in Galatians is that they, the people in the church, have moved away from the very thing that was clearly preached to them. And whenever you and I begin to move away from something that is set clearly before our eyes, we can begin to give this impression that we're under the control of something or someone else because we aren't seeing what is there in plain sight anymore. So Paul expresses in Galatians chapter 3, he, he begins to push more and use a little bit more harsher language than what we talked about last week in Galatians 1. And he uses his harsh language to get his point across to the people because it's not that he hates them. He's not, um, never wants to talk to them again. He cares so much for their souls. He cares for them as people. He's pastoring them. And the words that he has in this moment are sharp and painful. But if they'll follow through and allow the word of God to separate and to do a work within them, they'll get back to living in true freedom of what God had called them to do. So Paul tells them that you guys have been hypnotized or the word that's being used here is bewitched. (laughs) Like you are under some kind of spell because this is not at all what I taught. So let's pick this story up in Galatians chapter 3. He starts out, and we're going to read a couple of verses, and I'm going to break down a couple of words for you that I think are are pretty important. When I saw this, it changed the way that I, I began viewing this whole passage. But he says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified so let me ask you only this did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith and are you so foolish having begun by the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What is Paul saying? It's important that we pick up the language that Paul's using here. Language is everything. Would you agree with me with that? Politicians are very good at using certain language. As parents, we're very good at using certain language. Teachers, really good at using certain language. Language is everything, because when you're trying to get a point across, you choose different words and different tones of how we want a message to be receptive of heard. I remember when I was getting uh, my doctorate in biblical counseling, this is one of the principles that I was taught, that listen for language. Listen to how people respond when you ask questions. Watch their their body postures, watch how they sit. You know, I used to love uh, when married couples would come in to get marriage counseling, I'd have them sit on a couch to see how far away from each other they would sit. And then my goal was to get them to slide closer together. Uh, there were times too. What I'd say, um, when a married couple would come in, and they, I already knew why they were coming. I'd say things like, "Hey, before we start, why don't you put your hands on your spouse and pray for? Her? Why don't you pray for him? Because in their prayer, I was hearing their language that they were using. Like when the wife would pray for, like, God, just please let you know, lightning strike him right now if he like all kinds. You can just pick up all kinds of things. So language." will tell you the severity of their problems when they would talk. It would let you know where they were and the ground works to be spoken from. So when I read Galatians, I can't help but fall into that same train of thought is what is the language that's being used here by Paul? What is he trying to get across to them? And then once understanding what he's trying to get to them, what is is the Spirit trying to say to me through these words? So pay attention to the language that Paul's using here because language is everything. Galatians chapter 1, Paul calls... In the very start, remember he tells the Galatian believers, he calls them brothers, brothers. And then he uses this word, we're brothers, and we're the church. Galatians chapter 1, that's the way to start. Dear brothers, now we're family. Paul's making some grounds here. We're unified. We love each other. We, care. we may get mad at each other, but we're family. And then he uses this word church. In Galatians chapter 3, his language changes. He calls them idiots little bit different shift there, don't you think? How can you go from saying, hey brother, hey idiot, let me talk to you for just a second. This is a language change that Paul goes to. And he says this, that you go from being a brother in church, and you're still my brother, you're still my church, but you're acting like a bunch of idiots. A lot of stuff has escalated from chapter one to chapter three, right? So this is just me. Calling them idiots seems a bit harsh, especially since this letter was written to be read to them. If I wanted you to read my email, I will not start it out in that way. If I have a piece of important document that I need you to read, I'm not going to start it off with, hey, idiot, are you, I hope you're not still doing the same old stupid things messing your life up. Now, you would be so encouraged, like our pastor is so loving. Could you just look at it? You would not put that on the refrigerator. But this is what Paul is saying. He's saying you're living living like an idiot right now. You're foolish. And this type of language shows that Paul will not stand down in the face of false teachings because he cares too much for his people. He cares too much for the body of Christ as a whole. And it wasn't that he was so mad with the false teachers that he didn't want to have anything to do with them. Paul's goal was to convert them too. He wanted them to know Jesus as much as he knew Jesus. So he didn't just see them as an enemy. He saw them as people that needed God who were far from him. And so what what you're noticing is Paul did not want them to be weighed down by false religion and false expectations that were not biblical. So to get his point across, he begins to call them foolish because it's the best description of what they're doing. For some reason, they just kept reading the letter. And I can imagine people got uncomfortable with their seats. Some people were ready to kill Paul. Some people didn't want Paul ever coming back to church again. But the word that's translate um, foolish here is the Greek word anoitos. Anoitos. If you're trying to write that down and you don't really care. Um, phonetically how that works out, just write the word annoy, dash, and "toes." That's how you will remember that word because that's how it's written in my notes because that's how I remember it. So he says that, he, he uses this term "anoitos," and "anoitos" means to act as though the mind was when, uh, in, uh, an operative or if the mind is not even existent, as in you don't even have a brain. <laughs> this is the word that he uses. It, it means to, you know the truth, you know what you're supposed to do, but you act unreasonably, and un, you even act irrationally. Basically, you just are an idiot, is what he says. And we could actually go back and read Galatians 3.1 in that original language, and it would read something like this, oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, because that's what it would be in their thing. Language is everything. Now, do you think Paul got their attention? I, th- I think when they heard those words, they perked up because they're like, well, time out. I thought we were brothers. I thought you loved me. Yeah, I know we bought into something, but my-. this is pretty harsh language. And Paul goes on to write because he tells them, you're acting like idiots. It's This harsh tone, this language I'm using is because people were not using their capacity for understanding. And as a result, they were, their thoughts were acting like idiots because they bought into something that wasn't true. So Paul goes on and he writes another interesting word when he says this. Who has bewitched you? Okay, that's, that word should stand out when it comes, because we don't really use that word a whole lot. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, that's not a word that I use in my everyday vocabulary, or maybe you do, I don't know. But this is an odd word in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, this is the only place in the New Testament that you're going to see that word, is bewitched. And Paul reserves that word for the church in Galatia. And what he's saying here with this word, Though it seems odd, this word's, this, the word makes very good sense to the people because they caught on immediately when he said, you've been bewitched. Now, we're still in verse 1, by the way. They're still trying to get over the fact that he called them idiots. And now he's calling them bewitched. The bewitched translates into this, is to put the evil eye on. Men, you know what I'm talking about sometimes. When your wife asks you something and you know you didn't do what she asked you to do and you stare across, you can feel the evil eye coming at you. The tension. This is what they're talking about. That you had the evil eye put on you. And this idea comes from this... This Greek culture because what would happen in this time remember Paul was a Roman citizen but he was also very well educated not just in Judaism but also in Greek culture so he was not ministering in, in writing to Jewish people he was writing to Gentiles who were not Jewish they were uh, Greeks and whatever had, had happened, whatever they were they became Christians so he's preaching to them they would have picked up on this language being Galatians and understanding Greek because what the the symbolic here the symbolic understanding was in a bunch of ancient Greek letters you would read this passage it would say above all I pray that you may be in health unharmed by the evil eye and fearing prosperously the ancient Greeks were accustomed to and afraid of the idea that a spell could be cast on to you it would be looking as in looking into the eye of the snake like the Cobra L- let me break that down a little bit more let's go to the movie Aladdin for just a second remember J- Jafar Jafar carries around his big cane with the cobra head, and he uses that to hypnotize people. This is what it's talking about. Okay, so if you don't understand this afternoon, pop Aladdin in, watch it, you'll get what I'm saying. And he says that they would be, a spell would come upon them because of the evil eye, almost looking in the snake eyes and being hypnotized by what was going on. And Paul knew the Galatians would still have that fear, that there's a fear that spells can be cast, because they were Christian But we're Christians, too, and we still believe in some stuff that's not biblical, right? we got to put ourselves in that, too, and not go, man, these guys are idiots. Well, we are, too, because we buy into some pretty crazy stuff sometimes. And so what they would say is the way to overcome the evil eye was simply not to look at it. I mean, in Aladdin, they would, don't don't look at the cobra. Don't look at Jafar. Don't look at it. And so Paul was, in using this phrasing and using the word picture of bewitched, here's what Paul said. Paul's encouraging the Galatians to always keep their eyes on Jesus. Because somewhere along the way, it's almost like you've got a spell cast down on you. Because you're looking at things that don't matter. And you've gotten sidetracked because your eyes have not been set on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus. And he says, you've been hypnotized. Again, language is everything, because by even using this term, bewitched, Paul gives the idea that the Galatians are under some type of spell. And he doesn't mean this literally, but their thinking is so clouded and so unbiblical. It seems that some kind of spell has been cast on to the people. Because he's dumbfounded. Because he thought, man, I thought I preached a great sermon. I thought these people understood it when I left. I thought we did a good, a good thing with our training. I thought we were ready. And they fell into the trap. So very quick, let's just recap Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Idiots who have been hypnotized. You guys with me? Because that would be the whole thing. And we hadn't even made it out of the first verse yet, and the tensions are that Paul set the tension for them. They're on the edge of their seats. There are people standing in the back of the room with their arms crossed, walking, pacing back and forth, just waiting, just waiting. And Paul goes on to say in verse 1 to say, Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified? Now what is Paul saying here? Paul's not saying that they literally saw Jesus hanging on a cross sometime 17 to 18 years earlier. He's not saying that. He knows that they weren't there. But that phrase, publicly portrayed, is a very interesting Greek word. And I know we're going through a lot of words, but these are important for us to grasp the full understanding of the background and and to gain some application in the passage. Publicly portrayed in Greek, it demonstrates how they had been taught the truth of Jesus so convincingly that in their minds, it was as if they were there, as if they could just close their eyes and just experience being there, being there at the crucifixion, witnessing the beatings of Jesus. This is what the word is, is saying. In fact, the word used for portrayed or publicly portrayed in the Greek is prographio. Y'all wanna know how to spell that one in the, in the Berkeley County language? Just pro and then graph and put an O on it and you'll figure it out. But the suffix, graphio, is where we get our English word graphic. Something that can be clearly seen. Paul, here's what Paul's saying. So let's back up. It's, it's like I, I, this was preached and was portrayed publicly. Paul's saying, this should be clear to you. The picture was painted so perfectly for you to understand. It was so simple. But you have distorted the picture. And made it so complex and it should be clean it should be seen very clearly now this may come as a surprise to many especially students in the room communication in the ancient world was very different from communication today no smartphones no social media no snapchat no fill-in-the-blank whatever's new that came out yesterday I don't know so what they would say was if the emperor had this new decree or needed to get a message out if there was something that people needed to know they would post it somewhere in the public square so we got a new Emperor they would take that and they would post it in the public square and anybody that wanted to give see the news and read the news watch the news participate in the news they would just go to the public square and read the book They'd read what was ever was posted on the wall so here's what Paul's saying he, he's saying that this has been publicly portrayed. As in, it's, it's as if I went to the public square and put, it's that important, that I put it on the wall for you to go and see. This was the, like, you, why aren't you getting this? Paul's a little frustrated. And here's what Paul's posting. Because remember, he says before, whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed? He's posting Christ crucified. As a matter of fact, in this letter, the word crucified would be the most important letter in the entire writing. As a matter of fact, in the original language, this word would be highlighted, underlined, circled, stars put beside it. That's how important it is. Paul's trying to bring their attention back to, it was so clearly that you saw, as if I went into the public square and posted this, this is important information, that you would see Christ betrayed, crucified. And, and what he's saying is, this is the point that I publicly portrayed to you. I posted it. I put this on the billboard that Christ was crucified. And what he means is that if it was Christ that was crucified for our sins and I told you that the basis for which you were saved was by grace and you bought in to the lie. Paul had some strong words for these false teachers, by the way. He was saying these people had to be circumcised. Paul said it would be better for those teachers just to go and cut everything off. He loved them. He said that in love. And Paul's just saying listen, I posted this clearly. I posted this in your presence, but unfortunately, you guys forgot where we were going. Again, the Galatians had been bewitched, they had accepted a false teaching that taught works for salvation. And in verse 2, Paul begins, because we, we, all this language is being used in verse 1 and verse 2. He goes on saying, how did you receive the Spirit? So Paul doesn't answer this question. He just kind of throws it out there. Because people are tense right now. People are grabbing. They're trying to find whatever rocks they can find. Because just in case he walks in the room while the letter's being open would not be Paul's best decision. They probably would have attempted to stone him. But it's starting to, now it's starting to kind of fill in their hearts because Paul's gonna say listen you can be mad about it but let me start giving you some evidence because I really care about you but until you feel tension you'll never understand what's happening here you'll never fully grasp it and so Paul says how did you receive this spirit he, he asks this in order to challenge the new notions by the salvations by work thing that they they were going through he says Jesus has been clearly portrayed to you yet somehow you've abandoned this clear picture for false gospel He says, but life begins in the spirit, and it's by faith alone rather than through the works of the law. You you don't have to have all these religious things. And I know we're like, well, what does that have to do with us? Because you and I buy into law all the time. When we feel like we messed up and we feel like we're one of these whack-a-mole games, you know, the whack-a-mole pops up and we're just waiting to pop up at the wrong time and God's just going to push us right back down. That we make one sin and we feel like God doesn't love us anymore because we messed up and he doesn't want to have anything to do with us. Because of my past, God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Good news for you. You don't have to do anything for God to love you. He loves you. He loves you. He's not intimidated by your past. He put that on a cross and crucified it and put that to death. Now who's scared? Because we buy into works. And then we take these works and we put them on other people. Well, you got to do this, dress like this, act this way, talk this way, listen to this, and we start. You no, know, I, I remember in youth ministry, people used to ask all the time, "Are we going to teach about morals? We're going to teach kids not to do drugs, not drink?" No, I'm not. I'm going to teach them to love Jesus, because if they love Jesus, then guess what? They're not going to do. And if I teach them not to do these things. Well, do they love Jesus? Maybe. But I just scared them not to do these things. But if I teach them about Jesus and how much he loves them and the life that he wants for us, guess what? They don't want to do these things. We preach grace and not law. It's, it's a different, it's a different approach. This is what, and it's unfortunate it's a different approach. This is what the Bible teaches. This is how the Bible teaches. So so Paul here is just saying, listen, the Spirit, he does works. If we just submit our lives to the Spirit, we have to remain dedicated to the truth of Scripture. He was really going back to saying, guys, if you would just listen to the Scriptures that were preached to you and just start to apply them. Don't just show up on the day, on Saturday, when they were having church and say, listen, just just hear it and then go home and not do anything about it. He was saying, if you'll put these things to action... You wouldn't be so easily deceived if you lived by the Spirit. And we're going to get to that here in a couple of weeks in Galatians 5. But verse 5, he says this. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So verse 5, he's bringing up a very important question here. What, he, what he's asking, he says, this is important because it's forcing these Galatians, they've got to choose between two options now, not a third option. The Jewish... False teachers were coming in to teach a third option that wasn't true. And Paul's now bringing it down saying, no, there are two options that are given as the way to salvation, either achieving or believing, works or grace. Which one do you want? Because one is not true and one is true. One comes with a heavy weight, one comes with freedom and lightness. Which one do you want? I'm asking the question because these are the options you have. There is no other way. You have bought into the wrong way. There is no other way of salvation. You either achieve or you believe. Those are the options. you got to remember, these Galatians were not denying Jesus as Savior. They They were believers. They had accepted Christ. But now, they were adding the law as a requirement to their salvation, much like we do when we add works to our salvation. I want God to love me then I need to do this if I want to have a relationship with God then I'm gonna to have to do these things and, and, and the key here's the here's the thing to understand if you're living work based or if you're living grace based when you use the words have to because have to is a burden mindset well I have to read the scriptures I have to pray I have that's a burden a growth mindset is I get to do these things because I'm with Jesus and I love Jesus. I, I get to, to spend Sunday and, and live in community and go to a small group and learn more about him with like-minded believers. He's, I get to do that. It's not an obligation. Because one's achieving, one's believing. And it's interesting because when you go through the New Testament to notice all the different language that's used to describe salvation, Paul here talks about receiving the Spirit. And what he's talking about with receiving the Spirit, he's talking about being saved. It's a synonym for salvation, because he tells us here in Ephesians chapter 2, for by, say it with me, for by what? For by grace you have been saved through faith, not works. You have been saved by faith, by grace, through faith. And this, I love this, because he wants wants you to get this, that you've been saved by grace through faith, but he he wants to take it a step further, because he he needs to really drill this down, because look what he says to them. And this is not your own doing. Here's what he's saying it's not by your works. It's not by what you did. It's not because you got the gold star for perfect attendance in Sunday school. It's not any of those things. He says it is not your own doing. Listen to this it is the gift of God, it is a gift, not a result of your works so that no one may boast, that no one may boast. The gift is incredible if we accept it. And we do have to accept it, because that's what a gift is, you accept a gift or d- deny a gift. I remember I wanted to go to a concert one time, and I told Allison I wanted to go to this concert, and I dragged a little bit too long, and I didn't get tickets, and I looked online, and all the tickets were sold out. And I was like, ah, oh, this was like a bucket list, wanted to do this concert. And I was so bummed out, and I didn't say anything else to her, but I kept searching, because you know, some people buy tickets to flip tickets, and I was willing to pay whatever at this point to to be able to go to this show. And Allison surprised me, and she said, by the way, and I'm glad that she did this, and I didn't just go buy tickets, because we would have had, it would have invited a lot of friends. But she said, they were sold out, but I got tickets before they sold out. And she gave me the tickets. You know what would have been really bad to have my bucket list concert if she would have handed me the tickets and said, oh, by the way, here's the invoice for those. Here's the invoice. Could you imagine at Christmas getting a nice gift in your family? And there are probably some people in your family like this that would hand, oh, here's the invoice for that, too. This is how much you owe for that gift. There is no invoice with the gift from God. He didn't give us an invoice. He's, he gave us a paid in full note, this is done. If you've paid your house off you know how that feels you paid a car off you know how that feels like this is (laughs) this is mine I don't have to I don't have to work to pay this this is done and he says this is a gift from God it's not a result of works it's not that you can boast this is very consistent with Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 in a verse we all know it says that "I, I have been crucified with Christ but the life that I now live is not my own life it is the very life of Christ. Listen to this wording. It's the very life of Christ living, living, active, working, moving, Jesus, in me. He doesn't say it's me moving and working in me. He said it's Jesus living and working through me because I've laid my life down and I've picked up his cross and I carry the cross. And In other words, he said I have received the Spirit. And is the very life of Jesus that is within me that now lives. He says, so to describe salvation in this case, he's simply saying, when you receive the new life, you receive the very spirit of God within you. And that's the work. That's the regeneration that happens within our lives. Galatians 3, 6, he says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham I'm gonna be honest with you when I was writing this I thought let's just stop at verse 5 because it would be pretty easy this gets a little bit too complex then the more I studied it I realized it is complex but it's super important that what we're understanding because these were Gentile people that the Old Testament was kind of you know they didn't know a whole lot about it and Abraham they knew who Abraham was he was the father of the Jews Jewish people but in verse 6, I, when I looked at it, I realized in verse 6, Paul's saying to the Galatian Christians, y'all listen, this is, this is, this is important. He says, let me, let me give you this paraphrased picture of what's happening with Paul, is painting this. He says, these confused and bewitched Galatians, these believers are going, I follow Jesus, but these false teachers over here, man, these guys are like the true sons of Abraham. They're the elite. They're from the lineage of Abraham. You can't get any closer than that. Because in Abraham lineage, there's David. In his lineage, there's Jesus. And these guys are pretty close to God if that's the case. And this was the way that they were thinking. He says, they're the true sons of Abraham. So I guess we should probably do what they're saying. That's why they bought into the lie, because they connected that, because they knew something, uh, these, these teachers knew something were connected some, to something important. They just assumed that maybe what they were doing was right. You can't ever do that and then Paul says let me tell you something you are the true son of Abraham because sons of Abraham are such based on their faith they're not based on bloodlines and lineage and he goes on to say this your inheritance is set because of what Jesus has done so the Bible says that Abraham believed God and that it was credited to him righteousness to be in right standing with God so because of Abraham's belief Abraham was saved by God not because of his bloodline or lineage and the Galatians had bought in that we're not in the bloodline of the lineage of Abraham because he's the father of many nations and they just assumed that that was just Jewish people and didn't realize it was for them too that they had direct access to Abraham so the Galatians believers had been lured into the thinking that they could be included in this promised blessing of Abraham if they just kept the laws of Moses but here goes because like, that this is a little deep and a and little heavy but let me, let me bring us up for a breath he says in the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith so God had a plan for the Gentiles in the very beginning it wasn't just for the Jewish people this is very good news to the Galatians now the ones that had already gone through with the circumcision message sent a little too late but he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you shall all the nations be blessed not just the nation of Israel all of the nations can receive blessing through the gospel And he says those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham who's the man of faith the gospel shows us in verse 8 it's pointing back to Abraham the gospel was there 2500 years before Jesus shows up on the scene and the gospel was present in God's promise to Abraham. And here Paul's telling the Galatians that the gospel was being preached to Abraham, and there was a couple of thousand years before Jesus is going to come. But the gospel is being lived out in the scriptures. And then look what it says here the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. The word of God being written 2,500 years before Jesus and all of its authority all of its inner inspiration, all of its breathed outness from God was foreseen. Paul's telling the Galatians church, God had a plan for you before you drew your first breath. You are connected to Abraham. The promise that God gave to Abraham, not that you had to go be through with circumcision because that was under law. The promise that God gave to Abraham, you are a recipient of that, not because of lineage, but because of Jesus. And now they're like oh my gosh we we totally did buy into this false thing you you mean to tell me that we we have this connection like we've always been because they thought to be connected to Abraham was to be connected to God and so the scriptures preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham that God was preparing to justify the Gentile people it's the same gospel here's what I love whenever you get dropped into human history doesn't matter what period you get dropped into. It's the same gospel. The same gospel. Thanks to God that we can all be saved and kept in Christ, not because we're good enough, but because we can place our trust and faith in the finished work of Jesus. I love this quote from J.D. Greer. He's the president of the, the Southern Baptist Convention. He says, The gospel is not love God and do your best. The gospel is that you did your best and it wasn't enough. So God in his love sent his best who did for you what you could not do for yourself. And all you can do now is receive it by faith. Powerful words. This is what Paul is saying. Great summary of what Paul's telling the people. If we go through these last nine verses and circle the word faith, did you notice that word popped up a lot? If you see a word pop up a lot, it's probably important. But every time you see it in those nine verses, there's six times in nine verses that Paul uses this word faith. Why? Because faith is greater than works. He was pushing that on them. Faith is greater than works. If you love God, then you do the works, not do the works to love God. It's faith. And so he tells them, it's by grace we are saved. And say it with me, we're saved by grace through faith and not by works that's the gospel I am glad I didn't have to do anything to earn God's favor because I can't I am glad that I didn't have to try to earn God's righteousness because I can't stand before him in right standing because I am blemished and broken and flawed God didn't save us because we weren't good enough to be saved he didn't save us by taking our sin and ignoring it and excusing it he didn't excuse our sin he took our sin and he laid it on Jesus and Jesus killed that sin he put it to death when he died Isn't that good news we didn't have to so we're saved through faith because it's a gift of God not a gift of works I want to close right here because this is the most important thing the most important words that I believe that Jesus spoke from the cross was when he said these words it is finished three words that changed everything for us everything else he said from the cross was important but I think the weight of what he was saying here is a message that needed to be echoed to the Galatians and thousands of years later have been echoed here in this room with us is that it is finished those words marked that we do not have to work for salvation it is finished meant the work was done jesus did it for us it is finished it is finished released us from the penalty of sin and as we continue to believe that it releases us from the power of sin so if Paul were to sum up all of chapter one, two, and three up in one sentence, here's what he would sum it up this way. It's not your religious activity that makes you right with God. It's your relationship with Jesus. It's your relationship with Jesus, period, nothing else. Don't add anything to it. Anything added to it takes the purity of the message away. So important. What, what does that mean for us? What's the, he's talking to the Galatians as a Jewish, but what does that mean to us? here's what Paul's saying to us so what the Holy Spirit's revealing to us is that listen stop adding stuff these things don't even matter don't add works to what God has already done what he has done is enough he doesn't need me to help because remember we tried to help in the very beginning we have self-help books all over the place it was self-help that got us into this mess to start with when Eve thought hmm I could eat this and know just as much as God and help myself and that's what got us here. See, the law shows us our depravity. The cross shows us redemption, it shows us what true freedom in Christ is. And this is what I want you to walk away with today. When we know the truth intimately, we will not be swayed by deceptive messages. What, what do we mean? Get in the Word. Start paying attention to the language that you use when you talk about your relationship with God. Do you have to do these things? Or do you get to? Are you in a burden mindset or or in a growth mindset? What is is God saying to you? We we teach this way so so that you can begin to process some things and really understand what Paul was trying to say. And what he and, and now the job is we heard what Paul was trying to say. Now the job is to hear what the Holy Spirit is trying to say. Because I believe that there are multiple messages through this that God's trying to teach you and trying to teach me. But at the end of the day, we have to know the truth. And we gotta spend time with God, and we gotta hear from God so that when we hear a message that's not true, we recognize it to be false. Can I just give you a very quick example of what this would be? One of the biggest teachings in America today is the prosperity gospel. You do this, God wants to bless you, give you a lot of money. That seems like a great philosophy in America. But go try to preach that in the country of Haiti. And let's talk about how loving and blessing God is and God just wants to bless you if you just give of what you have. Because the Haitian people are givers. They're believers. They love Jesus. I've met many of them. But what a cruel theology to teach them when they're living in poverty and their country is torn to shreds, but yet we're preaching this gospel that if they'll just give, 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 God's going to bless, bless, bless. And we buy into that. And again, it sounds great here in America, but in places of Haiti and Africa, places of poverty, it's a false gospel, and we got to be willing to call that where it is. And how do we know that's false? Because that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say we had to do all these things, and he wanted to bless us and make us millionaires. Because we love Jesus, right? Anybody rolling around in Rolls Royces right now? Maybe he'd give you that. But God's more concerned about his relationship with you than what he wants to give you. He's more concerned about you being able to sense false doctrines. So we gotta be people of the scripture. Let's pray, and we're gonna we're gonna um, sing again as we get ready to close today. next week we're gonna jump into Galatians chapter 5 and if you want to get a head start you can read Galatians 5 this week but we're fixing to sing just just the bridge we're gonna sing of the song Waymaker and um, as we were singing this earlier I just kind of had this thought is that we're saying that when I can't see him God's working it doesn't say anything about us working God is God's working when we don't feel it God's working Here's what I want you to understand. It's God's works that are completing us to salvation, not us. And that he's here to provide a way. He has made a way so that we no longer have to live under the penalty of sin and we can be released from the power of sin. So Father, thank you so much today for who you are. Thank you for your blessings. I just pray now, God, that, um, that we would hear your word. There's a lot of things you're saying. There's times that we act like idiots. There's times that I feel like when you, write, you wrote me a letter, God, if you wrote me a letter that you would probably need to title it that way because even though I understand, sometimes I find it really hard to do those things because my flesh wants to do the things that please it and not the things that the Spirit needs to be nourished. So I just pray in these moments that we would be released of feeling like salvation is something that we have to earn, that it is done. So may as we sing today that we just declare in you that your salvation comes through grace as a free gift. And we thank you today for your grace. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.